A culmination of decades, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker encompasses themes of redemption, identity, and sacrifice. Are you just watching? Episode 100, Rise of Skywalker. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And it's that time. We actually reached episode 100. Woohoo! Yay! Confetti! <laughs> yeah, you know, as I said at the end of our last episode, we actually have more than 100 episodes because mm. we had some episodes at the beginning that were numbered on a different numbering scale. And so I think we're actually around 113, maybe. I have to look at, at our actual count. But yeah, it, this is kind of a, a nice little, of course, if we were, if we came out more often than monthly, we would have hit 100 a really long time ago. But <laughs> well, you know what, it, it, it is a milestone in the purest figurative sense that we can come up with. Yes, it's a very cool milestone. Before we get into our discussion on the movie, I do want to just bring up a couple of news items. In addition to this being, you know, whoopee episode 100. We are currently, as members of the Christian Podcast community, there is a really cool contest going on right now. We'll have the link to it in our show notes, as well as we will be probably posting about it on our Facebook page as well. But you just want to check out the link. It's a link that you, that'll take you to a contest page, and it gives you a list of all the things that you can do in order to enter the contest. And the really cool thing about it is that there's this giveaway, and there's one person going to get the giveaway. And so you get entered every time you do one of the things on the list, and it's things like subscribe to other podcasts that are members of CPC, uh, liking pages, uh, becoming members of groups. There's all kinds of things in there that you can do. One person is going to win a theology giveaway and is a library containing books and DVDs from various authors. And it's going to, it's the value of it is currently just topping $1,000. So it is going to be quite the giveaway. It'll be a very big box for one person. So highly encourage you to check it out and participate. It, it'll it'll be a, a fantastic giveaway for somebody. The other thing that I want to mention in regards to the Christian podcast community is that uh, several of the podcasters that are members of the community have been getting together once a month to do what we call the Theology Throwdown. And we have recorded three of them, and they are being posted all at once right in the middle of January. So by the time this episode gets to your ears, they should be available. And the really cool thing about it is the episode three, uh, which we just recorded last week for me, <laughs> hmm. the whole topic was based on Tim and I's discussion on the movie Harriet back in November. So if you listen to our episode on Harriet, where we talked about uh, Harriet having visions from God and how God speaks to us. That was the topic of our theology throwdown in episode three. So love for you guys to check out that discussion because I got schooled a little bit on, <laughs> on that topic. So we had some some really uh, terrific guys. Justin Peters was part of the discussion and and he's kind of known as the leading evangelical expert on the Word of Faith movement. And so it was really, really very cool to have him there joining us and talking about that. Encourage everybody to look up that episode and listen to it. Now, Rise of Skywalker. We're going to talk about it at least briefly without trying to give away any spoilers, but I really hope yeah. we've delayed we've delayed recording this podcast for a couple of weeks because we wanted to make sure, well, number one, there was Christmas and New Year's and all that stuff. But number two, we wanted to make sure as many people as possible have had a chance to see the movie before we talk about it, because we want to make sure they, they can participate in our discussion without having to worry about spoilers. You know, I, I suspect that the Venn diagram of people who have not seen Rise of Skywalker and people who want to see Rise of Skywalker has a very, very small section of intersection. Yeah, and people who couldn't care less. <laughs> yeah, that that is definitely people far on the side. Yeah. 
Well, there's a lot of people that are, I think, were very skeptical of going to see Rise of Skywalker because the last, uh, the last Jedi, that's right, the, the one before that, episode eight, that one was not so good. It was kind of a massive disappointment. And mm. so a lot of people were just kind of like done with Star Wars after that. And so I think that there were a lot of people who are very skeptical about Rise of Skywalker. And so my first impression, spoiler-free impression, was thank you, thank you, thank you, J.J. Abrams, because this movie had the potential of being truly awful. And it's unfortunate that it's not as good as it could be because of the two movies that preceded it, but it was as good as it could have been <laughs> with the two movies that yeah. preceded it. So I don't know whether that's damning it with faint praise, but I am very grateful that J.J. Abrams managed to pull everything together and give this entire thing a decent ending. Yeah, he really did. Yes. I went in, I came out of this movie thinking, boy, I wish they had done this movie in two movies because there were so many things, you know, that had to be wrapped up, so many characters and everything. He couldn't get to everything. But Abrams yeah. did a, a a really good job touching lightly on all the most important things in my mind. Uh, he really uh, managed the time of the movie well and mm -hmm. got pretty much everyone their due. I mean, you're always going to have complainers. Right, right. This movie does a lot of tying into all of the movies that came before it and wrapping up loose ends, answering questions. But one of the things I think that really tied all of it together was the music because John Williams, you know, he, he was known for his original Star Wars uh, soundtrack. Each movie had its own theme, but you got to hear pieces of those themes throughout all Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I did notice that. You heard A New Hope in there. You heard Empire Strikes Back in there. You heard Return of the Jedi. You heard Phantom Menace. You heard, they were, There were pieces of every movie in this movie. And so it the music really came together and tied the whole saga together. And I, that that really helped. I mean, just even sitting in the credits at the end, I'm like... I hear this movie. I hear this movie, <laughs> you know. So it was just really terrific to have that tie in as well. And so just because it's John Williams and there's enough said, really, when it comes to soundtracks, he's all, most of the great soundtracks have been written by John Williams. Yeah. Yeah. It's the line I had in my viewing notes was this music just oozes John Williams Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> so let's play. Um, just a little bit of it and uh, just allow ourselves to go down memory lane for just a few seconds. say that music says it all right yeah it's and you know the way that they put all the different themes in there all the way back from new hope on up mm -hmm. was very similar to how they fit in so many of the other traditions that they have established throughout all these star wars movies mm -hmm. and you notice it you see it or you hear it as you're watching the movie and you go oh i know where that's from mm-hmm and uh, that was sort of like the – that was part of what made this movie good mm -hmm. was, yeah. you know, there there are, of course, a, a number of things that have, that have to happen in every Star Wars movie. Somebody always loses a limb, an arm, or a, an appendage <laughs> of some type. 
and the very opening scene, it opens on Kylo Ren and, and, uh, the last saber swing he does, he cuts off an arm and it, it is essentially the same length of arm that is cut off in a new hope in the cantina. Hmm. Wow. Um, so it's, it's a whole bunch of little stuff and some of it's a little forced. We can talk about that later, but uh, there's stuff that happens in every Star Wars movie, and and they made an effort to put that stuff in here for the fans, and they made mm-hmm. I, I feel like they made an effort to not make it obvious, which yeah, so I that appreciate. People had to look for it, yeah, 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 because yeah. you feel better when you're like when you're the first person to notice stuff. It, it's like Ready Player One. In Ready Player One, there was just so much that. Everybody could see it, but you couldn't mm-hmm. see it for the six billion other characters on the screen. Right. Here you have yeah. to be really paying attention. Yeah. There, yeah. There was a lot of stuff in there and there was a lot of blunders fixed, I would say. It's like trying to, to take, like I, as I said earlier, the, the movies that preceded this were not great. And, you know, a lot of people are still saying that Disney really flubbed up. They really <laughs> messed up the continuity of the story. And it was really fascinating because I was talking to several people, a lot of my friends at work that were interested in in Star Wars. They came into the Star Wars trilogy with Phantom Menace, you know, with the episodes one, two, and three. And and so those were the movies that they liked. And when, when you would talk to them, you know, what are your favorite movies? A lot of them would say, you know, that one of those three were their favorite. And, and yeah, and that kind of gets a gag reflex for me because I didn't like any of one, two, or three. They they all, I, Phantom Menace ruined it for me. And then the, the two that followed were kind of like, I, I watched them because I felt like I needed to, you know, yeah. keep the story going. But I was completely uninterested, couldn't care less. And I'm still kind of an original Star Wars girl. I like four, five, and six. And yep. That's that's what I was raised on. Those were the ones that I really loved. But there's something there's like almost like three generations. I mean, like like you said, this this movie encompasses decades of time, mm-hmm. you know, f- over 40 years. <laughs> it's it's just one of those things that, you know, there we've got at least two, possibly three generations that each have a different part of Star Wars that they're holding on to. And you know this this last trilogy is a whole new generation's yeah. introduction to Star Wars, and so they're all going to I, latch on to something different about it. and mm-hmm. And I think that uh, this movie fixed what was wrong with the pre- preceding two movies, especially Last Jedi. I think you could actually probably get away with watching this movie and not and skipping Last Jedi. Like if you hadn't if you didn't bother to see Last Jedi because it got so many bad reviews, you could probably skip over it and it wouldn't hurt too much i you know i actually i thought last jedi was okay um it's i'm a lot more forgiving of the previous movies even phantom menace which i thought was really bad yeah um because for me it's a lot more about the the story that they're telling and and continuity doesn't make as big a difference unless it's a glaring thing was it it was in last jedi where leia rescues herself from being out in space. Yeah, yeah, being out in space. And and that, for me, was a big glaring, glaring thing. Like, beat you over the head with a, a cudgel. Yeah. <laughs> glaring hole. And But they, they addressed that in this movie, too. Yeah, I think they... J.J. Abrams tried to answer a lot of those questions and fix a lot of those, what I consider boo-boos. It, and I think he did a, a decent job with it. And so I think all in all... Uh, this movie does a very good job of wrapping up all of those, you know, things that you would consider to be problems or story issues mm-hmm. and and at least putting a knot in them. I don't know about whether it's a pretty bow or not, but at least he knotted up the loose ends <laughs> so they're not dangling anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like the movie could have been much, not much better uh, because that would take it into great, but... I feel like the movie could have benefited if he hadn't had to go back and and explain away so many of the previous mistakes. Yes, yes. Uh, that yeah. time could have been spent better spent on uh, on 
actual story elements. But at the yeah. same time, I appreciate that he did went and patched those holes. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That was that was a good deal, uh, a good thing for the overall movie, and it was a long movie. So you know, he did as much as he could in as much time as he was given. I understand talking to some of my fellow Star Wars fans who have really been following the making of this movie that there were a lot of things that got cut. So there might be a uh, extended director's cut out here, you know, after it reaches DVD that, you know, might pull some of that stuff back in because it sounds like he intended there to be a lot grander scenes of things, appearances and stuff like that that ended up getting cut from the final edition of the movie. And it was over two hours. So yeah, two hours, 22 minutes. Yeah. And by the time you finish watching your 30 to 40 minutes worth of previews and commercials, it was a very long movie. (laughs) Commercials. Don't get me started. If you have not yet seen it and you don't want 42 years of uh, spoilers, (laughs) then I would recommend stopping now and going out and, and catching it. The theaters are pretty empty. For the for the movie now, so go watch it and come back and and pick up the podcast where he left off because now let's talk spoilers. Ephesians chapter four verse twenty five. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. Right. So, as we've already said, this thing caps off a decade's worth of story. And the characters are, you know, it's the third generation, really, of the characters. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in Phantom Menace, it dealt with the the parents of Leia and Luke. And this trilogy deals with the children of Leia, Luke. And, oh, well, Luke didn't well, have any children. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so... It, you know, we've got three generations in the movies themselves, and it and it uh, we're probably coming on the third generation watching the movies. So <laughs> true, very true. It's uh, kind of a, a cool thing to have a series of movies that, you know, when George Lucas envisioned Star Wars, he really had no clue what episodes one through three would be, and he, and I think he really envisioned six being the end. So. You know, to tack on another three movies after what he considered to be the end of the story, I think they did a decent job. Yeah. This isn't like the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because when when Iron Man 1 hit the theaters, there was already a an MCU Bible that laid out <laughs> everything all the way up to and including Endgame, at least all the salient parts. Mm-hmm. There was no such thing for Star Wars. Lucas had an idea of where he was going, but it was just for those three movies. Yes, yes. He didn't see it, you know, turning into a nine-part story with spinoffs and, and TV shows and what have you. And we've got so much going on in the Star Wars universe now that it's really hard to keep all the storylines straight. And I think, to be honest, that you know, there's going to be gaping holes because this is a made-up universe with made-up characters with, mm. you know, made-up backstory and made-up bunny trails and all the other things. And so they're going to clash. There's book been books written 
that probably don't fit in anymore. Uh, I know that there was a series of books that was supposed to explain what happened to the children of Luke and Leia and Han Solo and all of them. There's been multiple books that were, were written about that no longer fit because of these three movies that were made. And you just never know <laughs> uh, how that's all going to fit together. So yes, these movies messed up some of the storyline and which meant that Abrams had to come along and fix it. But I think that he did a very good job of giving us a satisfying conclusion because yeah. having, I think the redemption of um, Kylo Ren or Ben Solo, whichever name you want to go by hmm. was probably, I think the best part of the movie because we already knew that Ray was good and that Ray was going to be the hero. Oh, Wait a minute, wait a minute. I wasn't so sure of that. I actually came into Rise of Skywalker wondering whether or not she was going to be turned. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely had a precedent for that with the first, I mean, the trilogies. I always get them confused. The first trilogy is ones, two, and three. The original trilogy is four, five, and six. Just so if I say the first trilogy, I mean one, two, and three. So in... In the first trilogy, that is, you know, where we see the rise of Darth Vader and the fall of what could have been a very good Jedi and Anakin. So there is precedent for somebody who's being trained as a Jedi to be turned to the bad side. But I don't know that that would have worked for the conclusion of the entire story. (laughs) It would have been tough. You don't want the dark side to win. And so I I think it was very cool that in the end, you know, Ben and, and Ray stood side by side against evil. And I think that that was, uh, spoiler, obviously we're in the spoiler section, but that's that's how it, it, it turns out in the end. And I, I really appreciated that. I think one of my favorite lines in the movie was when Ray told uh, Kylo that, she did want to take his hand, but she wanted to take Ben's hand and not Kylo's hand. And so it was kind of that, that instant, oh, she wants me to be the the person that I was meant to be, not the person that I am. And so that was a a, a really cool line. Yeah. One of our listeners, I I kind of put it out on our Facebook group to for people to contribute if they like and one of the things that he mentioned was the contrived McMuffins in in the story and so I had to look that up because I wasn't exactly sure what he was (laughs) meaning by that but once I looked it up I realized what he meant and this is something that it was almost like a misdirection in the movie because there were so many things that you know the quest that they were going to go after and find something and oh the it turned out not to be something they actually needed. And so it's just yeah, kind of like... actually, they got to where they wanted to go without the map anyway. Yeah, so there was a lot of that in this movie because the first thing that they went after that they thought they needed to have was the way to find where the Emperor was, this hidden planet. And so about half the movie is Ray and and company going looking for this one thing that they need and... That's really about half the movie. And then they ended up not needing it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was destroyed. The only known yeah. one was destroyed. And then Kylo Ren took her there anyway. Yeah, well, he had it in his... He didn't take her there, but he had it in his ship. And she used his ship to escape from him, really. And so she didn't realize that she actually... Oh, that's right. It was the really the weirdest thing is that she grabs his ship to fly away... And and then she goes back to the planet that she found Luke on. And then she burns Kylo's ship because she's like, I'm not, not going to participate anymore. I'm done. Hmm. And she didn't even look to see whether he had this little locator device thing in his ship. And, and it turns out that it hadn't been destroyed when she burned the ship. So it was just like a lot of just sudden, oh, but she didn't actually destroy it. So now she has the way. And guess what? Luke just happens to have his ex- X-wing, His original on this X-wing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of just you know quick saving mechanisms in this movie that that made everything work. But yeah, that was probably the biggest McMuffin. Would that be a Deus Deus Xwingia? 
<laughs> oh, that's great. But in all of the storyline, the the one I guess spiritual tie-in I can see in this is you know, kind of like the idea of what the Bible is to us as Christians because we have the entire story in our hands from the beginning of mm-hmm. Genesis and create when God created the world all the way to the consummation in Revelation. We have the we have the whole story. It's all there. We don't have to worry about anything changing in the storyline or continuity in story pro- problems because God gave it to us all up front. And so we it's not like we we are Abraham or Nehemiah <laughs> or even uh one of the apostles where we're living in the middle of the story and we don't know how it's going to end. We we are blessed as Christians to have the entire culmination of the story. The, there is the entire... no spoiler-free section of our Christianity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have it all laid out for us. And, you know, it being January, I'm trying again, once again, to read through the Bible in a year. And it's been a couple years now that I have uh, actually managed to read through the Bible. Mm. I haven't. I mean, I haven't been able to manage to read through the Bible in the last couple of years, but some years prior to that, I had kept it up for like five years straight where I read through the Bible every year. And I'm going to attempt it again this year because I really think that we don't get a good understanding of God's revelation to us if we're only picking through the Bible and not getting the whole picture. Right. And I the the first few years that I did it, I tried a different plan every year. So I did like the just read straight through the Bible plan and like the way it's assembled, the canon. That's and a, then yeah, I like the chronological one. That's, and that's then, the one then I'm the, doing. yeah, the following year I did a chronological. Um, one of the ones I did was uh, where you did Old Testament, New Testament together. Uh, so you did like a little in the Old Testament, a little in the New Testament every day. And the one I'm starting this year, and it's really cool, it starts in the New Testament. So each day you read a something from the New Testament, and then you go back to the beginning and you read, um, you're reading kind of like chronologically through the Old Testament. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm, you start in Genesis, and then you also read a Psalm or a Proverbs. So it's, oh, okay. it's you're in the New Testament, you're in the Old Testament, and you're in the Psalms and the Proverbs every day. And... So I, I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, obviously we're recording this on the 12th. So I'm on day 12 of that reading plan. And I'm really enjoying it because one tendency I have when I'm reading through the Bible is to get bogged down in some of the harder portions of the Old Testament. And the New Testament's fairly easy to read, but the Old Testament, there are parts of it that are really hard to read. And so I'm hoping that this having, you know, three things every day to read will keep me from getting bogged down and and keep it alive and fresh for me. But I really do encourage us as Christians, and I'm pointing as many fingers at myself here as I am everybody else, that do make the attempt to read through the Bible. Even if you don't do it in a year, maybe over two years or something like yeah. that. There's actually a couple good two-year guides out there that you can use. Right. God has given us the whole story, and we should be taking advantage of that. You know, that not just picking and choosing parts of the Bible, but reading his full an inspirational word uh, to uh, you know to us. This is God's love letter to us, and we should be taking part in all of it, not just portions of it. So, yeah. You know, um, now that we can talk about spoilers, I did sort of feel like they. You remember how a huge portion of the original trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, were built around the prophecy of. Uh, Luke Skywalker bringing balance to the Force. Mm-hmm. I sort of felt like it put... That was a very fantasy-esque storyline. The fantasy epics had a, a prophecy that they were built around, and, and you know you would join the, the child who would fulfill the prophecy and, and follow the child through the fulfillment. I felt like that prophecy, by the end of... Rise of Skywalker was the wind had been taken out of its sails. Luke brought balance to the force by killing the emperor, but it turns out he didn't. Well, that's what I heard somebody make the comment that the 
Force Awakens pretty much nullified everything that happened in episodes four through six. Mm. And I get their point because it's like, like I said earlier, George Lucas intended six to be the end. Return of the Jedi was the end. Yeah. And when when you go into the next generation that basically undid everything the Rebel Alliance fought for, the whole, you know, the overthrow of the order, you know, and, and the empire and all of that stuff, that was what they fought for. And then the next generation just basically undid every all of their sacrifices, all the things that, you know, that they worked so hard to do. And there was a I think a question asked in in this episode too. I can't remember whether it was Lando or Leia, but somebody asked him, you know, how did you do it? You know, just the just with you know so few people, how did you go up against an entire empire? And it's like they undid all of that, everything yeah. that they had done, they undid uh, in this trilogy, and and it was sad, and I could see why so many people were upset uh, by what happened in. The Force Awakens, because all of the what made the orig- the original trilogy so impactful was the sacrifices and the you know the the few against the many and the beleaguered rebels against a very organized empire that was hard to fight and and they won at great cost and then their win was just basically overthrown you know a yeah. few years later and. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of uh, that uh, in Spaceballs, Yogurt talks about the sequel to Spaceballs. Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's Which exactly is sort of what, what Disney did. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is so sad. I mean, they could have at least come up with a new villain or or a new thing for them to fight instead of completely undoing everything that was done yeah. originally. Yeah, it's like, let's just re- redo Star Wars again, like it never happened. <laughs> you know, honestly, when uh, when they started Force Awakens, I thought they were going to go with, uh, there's a recurring trope in, in storytelling of uh, cyclical history, you know, mm-hmm. that which, ha- that which uh, happens has already happened and will again happen type thing. I thought that they were going to be pushing that storyline and that this was going to be breaking that cycle, but they never really, they never really sunk their teeth into it. They, they never denied it either, but yeah. they never sunk their teeth into it and, and uh, determined one way or another, if that's what they were going for. Yeah. That's the sad part, but at least they gave it another, you know, glorious ending where they triumphed over the emperor, but wait, is he really dead? Because how many times have we killed him? No. Yeah. <laughs> The whole Snoke thing, him being created by Palpatine, I think, was one of the things that I had difficulty with in yeah. this one. Yeah. Well, I think the Emperor just became a plot device. It, it was kind of like, instead of a deus ex machina, we had to have a, a Satanist, Satan-type character who you yeah. just can't seem to kill and keeps rising his head again. And, um, the manipulator I guess- behind the scenes. Well, I guess the thing is, is like I said, they they undid everything that the original trilogy did, and he was the villain in the first trilogy, and you he got killed off at the end of the original trilogy. But wait, we needed three more movies, so let's bring him back, you know? Yeah. And I I don't know. I agree with that critique of this trilogy that it undid the original, and but I yeah. think that this. This final movie at least recaptured some of what I loved about the original Star Wars. And so I can sort of forgive it in the end. Sort of. <laughs> you had mentioned uh, Kylo Ren mm-hmm. and his alter ego, Ben Solo. Yeah. Did you want to ben talk S- about him? This movie actually has a little bit of a identity. I don't know. Well, crisis isn't the word. Not the movie. The characters. But both Rin and Ray both have to kind of figure out who they are in this movie. And it's something we knew Ray, we knew it was a journey that Ray had to complete because the big question from Force Awakens that was not answered in The Last Jedi was who is Ray? 
everybody was wanting to know who she was. And there was a lot of theories after the, after the end of Fort's Awakens. I remember reading one was that she was Ren's twin, twin sister, which they kind of seemed to make you think that that was going to, you know, there yeah. was this whole, the, the way that they almost seemed to be able to, to communicate across distances and seem to really be bonded in some way. It almost made sense that they were twins. And there was other books written uh, that had to do with, you know, the conclusion of Star Wars that did say that there were twins. And so I think that that was, that may have been playing off of that expectation that there would be twins, but they aren't twins. And Ray was revealed to be the granddaughter of Palpatine. And so Palpatine obviously was very strong in the force, just like the Skywalker family, because he was basically stronger than everybody. So it would make sense that the force would be strong in his his line. And I can see where some of the people are, are like, well, suddenly there's a granddaughter. We never even were mentioned that he had a family. Yeah. But I, I don't know that. That that's a when he's thrown off the balcony and at the end of Return of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi, that you have no indication that he even has a romantic interest or ever had one. But that yeah. I mean, he was an old man then, so you know he could have had multiple families that we didn't Not know as between. old as he could be. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know that that was a huge problem for me that he might have had a family. He was. Uh, a leader of a empire and usually the first thing yeah. that leaders of empires do is create a dynasty so it's not unheard of i think the only problem it, that it represented for me and it, it's a minor one to be sure mm-hmm. uh, i actually mentioned in our knives out discussion is when the filmmakers spring the solution on you using information that the the viewer could not possibly have had right and right. that's sort of what they did here. Yeah. It's, you know, Ray becomes Palpatine's granddaughter, and there is absolutely no way, you there's no information, yeah, yeah, no information given to even hint at it, which right. I thought, I always think it's sort of a cheat. Yeah. Yeah, it did feel a little bit like a cheat, but I, I think it worked out okay. But at the yeah. end, I, I agree with a lot of people who had problems with that. It was not an impossible thing for the Palpatine to have had children and it would have made sense that the children would have been estranged from him because of his power hungriness. I mean, mm-hmm. usually when you have an, uh, have an emperor who is unwilling to give up his throne, that usually means that if he has had children, they're probably fear for their lives because, you know, they become rivals for his throne and they feel worried about it. And so they hide themselves or whatever. So, you know, Ray's backstory is not impossible, but I can see why people were upset about it because, like you said, there was no hint to it, and it, it was just kind of like thrown out at us at the last minute. Oh, and by the way, she's a Palpatine. Yeah. But what that does mean is that Kylo Ren is the Skywalker, and having him be the bad guy up until now gave him room for a redemption, which I think was handled well which I think you may not necessarily agree with. So we could discuss that briefly yeah. here. The, his redemption comes in the form of his memory of his killing of his father, Han Solo, in The Force Awakens. And it was, number one, a way to get Harrison Ford back in the movie since we killed him off in the in the <laughs> you know the first movie. You know, how are we going to get him back? How is he going to make an appearance? I think it was ex- explained well because I think what causes that memory is Leia. And mm-hmm. when I was actually excited about it because when I got home, believe it or not, after I, I saw my first showing of Rise of Skywalker, I was came home. It was an afternoon showing. I was still in a Star Wars mood. And so I went back and watched The Force Awakens again right after seeing The Rise of Skywalker. And that scene where Han Solo appears to him is is almost identical to the actual scene where he dies in A Force Awakens. And so it really was a memory right up to the point where Kylo says or Ben says at this point that that he knows what he needs to do. And he just wasn't sure whether he had the strength to do it. And that Wait a minute, was were the, even the lines. Were they the same? Mm hmm. 
Uh, okay, I didn't catch that. But yeah. It, see, my my issue with it, I I came through that scene and I was like, okay, the, that was strictly fan service to put money in the bank, um, even though it probably cost them more money. But regardless, I didn't. I felt it, I felt like it was forced. But only because this is a, a universe where they have established force ghosts. Mm-hmm. And when they had, when the camera turns and Han Solo is standing there, I, I feel like it, it was sort of stepping on the toes of the whole force ghost idea and was just to serve as a, a mechanism to bring uh, Harrison Ford back for one last shot. As Han Solo. No, I, I don't think that's what it was. For one thing, he didn't look like a Force ghost. and it, Yeah, definitely. And the the point of it, I think, was, if you remember right, at the same time that Leia had, they actually said in the, in the thing that she, Leia knows what needs to be done. She knows that, she, it, but to reach her son will take all the strength she has left. And in reaching out to Ben, she had not really died. What she had done was kind of what Luke had done at the end of The Last Jedi, where he threw himself uh, in through the Force into a, a different a projection. And instead of projecting herself, she got inside Ben's head and projected his memory of his father. And so I, I think that, and she stays with him because you notice that she doesn't, you know, go go into the Force. I guess is what you would consider. Until at the end when, when Ben dies right. and goes into the force. And that's when she, because I think that she had actually, she had actually reached into Ben at that point and she stayed with him until the end. And because mm. of that, I think that, that that memory was her way of reaching Ben at the, his moment of, of vulnerability. And so I think that that was, I was really enthused by it because the wording, okay. when you go back, when you go back and when you watch the Force Awakens, that whole scene is Han thinks that he's reaching Ben, but Kylo's just playing with him. And so that that line where he says, I know what I need to do now, but I don't know whether I have the strength to do it, is is Kylo playing with, with Han. You know, he's like, I'm going to kill you, and I'm just going to make you think that I'm struggling about it. But... In this time, he says the exact same words. I know what I need to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. This time, he actually means it. And then he throws his lightsaber away. And so I think that instead of killing Han, he's actually giving up the dark side. He's actually turning his back on on Kylo and becoming Ben. And so I... I I just was enthused by it. I thought it was a really great redemption for his character. That's I I do appreciate that they that they redeemed him. I felt like they needed to. Yeah. Although he his character had a whole bunch of you know pendulum swings, dark side yeah. to light side to dark yeah. side to light side, uh, which were a little frustrating. Well, the thing that bugged me about his dark side thing was that you know this whole shrine that he'd made to Darth Vader. And it always seemed like Darth Vader was talking to him. But the problem was, is that Anakin was redeemed. I mean, that was the whole point of what Luke did with with mm-hmm. his father at the end of Return of the Jedi was that a- Anakin showed up as a force ghost at the end. He was redeemed. Well, of course, the Emperor does say that he was the all the voices in Kylo's head. So right. I guess in a way that was answered, too, because, you know, he wasn't he wasn't really enshrining Darth Vader because Darth Vader wasn't there to be enshrined. But yeah, that, I guess that question was answered. Now the spiritual tie in, it's really fascinating because, you know, getting ready to record for this, I was already kind of thinking about, you know, this identity that's spoken of here in star Wars, uh, rise of Skywalker. And my pastor this morning, he has just started a series on first Peter and he, he spent last Sunday on First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And he didn't even get through the entire verse. And so, <laughs> so this Sunday, he finished verse 1 and he got into verse 2. And the title of his sermon was 
rock solid identity. And he was talking about, and if you go in and you look in first Peter, it's, it's really just the introduction of the letter. And you're like, how did he, how, how come it took him, you know, two Sundays to talk about. Half, half the verse is city names. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was interesting about his sermon today was that he was talking about that this letter is, while it says it's to the exiles, you know, the dispersion, um, it's actually to all Christians. Peter was writing to all of the, the Christians that existed at the time that he wrote the letter. They, they were dispersed in, and uh, spread out, and he was writing a letter to them. So in a way, this letter is to all of us. And so he was talking about that our identity comes from our position as Christians. So that this, the beginning of the second verse says that uh, we're according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. So this is who we are as Christians, that we are sanctified by the Spirit. We live in obedience to Jesus Christ and that we are the culmination of the sacrifice. So that's what the sprinkling with his blood, because in the Old Testament, every time a sacrifice was completed, it was it was like made real by the sprinkling of the blood. So it's like when when the priests were originally ordained, they sacrificed the animals and then they were sprinkled with the blood as the the final step of the sacrifice. And so that's who we are. That's our identity in Christ. And one of the points he made was that it says that they are exiles. They, they're they're people who are scattered into a foreign land or they're not part of, of um, you know, the, the communities that they're in. They, they live as exiles in a foreign land. This was one of the main points of his sermon is that as Christians, when we become Christians, we become exiles because we are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom. And so that makes us exiles living. You know, we're not living in the kingdom yet, but we are exiles living of the kingdom living in the world. And I just had never heard it described that way before. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. That, that our identity in Christ as makes us exiles. And um, it was just a really interesting point. And it's just coming, hinging in on who are we and, and what is our identity. And Ray was struggling with that through this entire, well, trilogy really. And, and not knowing who she was but as Christians, we have a rock solid identity in Christ. And it's yeah, not something exactly. that we, that is hinged on our family. Uh, like Ray had a really horrible family, you know, her, her parents sounded like they were pretty cool. I mean, they risked their lives for her, but she had a grandfather that I'm sure she didn't want to acknowledge. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't matter who our family is. It doesn't matter what we've done with our lives. It doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter our, you know, our ethnicity, our culture, any of that, because when we become Christians, we have that rock solid identity in Christ. And that is such a massive blessing that, it, you know, the, our, our family line doesn't matter once we're part of the body of Christ. Yeah. And if, if we don't have that identity in Christ and we don't really have an identity at all, when you mentioned this earlier to me, James chapter one, verses 22 through 25 came to mind. Mm -hmm. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone who, someone looking at his own face in the mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So if you don't have the the anchor of the word, the, the uh, if, if you are not who you are in Christ alone, then you're adrift. Mm -hmm. you, you step away from the mirror, you forget who you are. Yeah. And, uh, and when you forget who you are like that, the Bible has all kinds of verses that talk about how easy it is for us to be deceived by our own hearts. Yeah. <sighs> and I think that that's represented in both Ray and Kylo because, you know, Ray is struggling to be the correct person and Kylo or Ben is, is trying to be, 
I think I think his identity crisis was very deep all the way through, and so mm-hmm. that's what makes his redemption so so cool is that he was willing to kill his own father to put put away that part of him, but yet he's able to reclaim it. And I and I think that I don't know. It's it's just a, I think it, there's some nice pictures of identity in yeah. in, in this movie. Now, moving along, because we actually have a lot to discuss and we're already getting going long on time. But I do want to touch briefly on one of the most repeated lines in this movie. This was like the Poe storyline. Yeah, yeah. It's like they win by making you think you're alone. And that this was, you know, the the theme throughout the movie was that if you're alone, you can't win alone. And that's how they win is... By making you the the you know the new the new order or the final order, the bad guys in the movie, however you want to refer mm-hmm. to them, they were massive. They and but and this kind of goes back to our previous identity. Something I wanted to your previous theme on identity. Something I wanted to mention was Finn's character meets more characters like him they're yeah. they're basically uh people who kids who were stolen from and they make a point of saying this that a lot of these planets have had children stolen from them just completely took all the kids and for, raised them. for the record that's one of the not quite retcons but one of the explanations that i really appreciated yeah that they they turned all of these kids into uh stormtroopers and they're they're raised to do nothing else but be stormtroopers and some of them have rebelled like like Finn has and and changed sides or just not even just not abandoned their posts. You know, they're deserters and they don't even know who they were because they were stolen as kids. They don't know what their names are. They don't know anything. They're just ID numbers. And, you know, when you realize that the enemy is made up of a lot of this, you know, people who really don't know why they are who they are and why they're doing the job that they've been told to do, it makes more sense that there would be more people on the other side. But they're so frightened and they're so, I guess, beaten down that they don't want, they're afraid to stand up. And and you see that repeated over and over yeah. again in this movie. It's really psychological warfare. Yeah. Um, and And it's a method of controlling the populace. It's very reminiscent. Uh, the rise of uh, nationalism and, and the Third Reich in mm-hmm. uh, in nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties. They Germany. stole the children. Yeah, yeah. It's they they turned the children against the parents. It wasn't uncommon for yeah. children to turn their own families in. Yeah, it, just by indoctrinating them like like they show in this movie, and you know clearly there is a uh, there's a, a parallel drawn between the empire and uh the the first oh, yeah. order and nazi germany i mean that's yeah. intentional well it was visual in the in the yeah. previous movies i mean that it looked like nazi germany the sad thing that i you know it kind of bugs me is that it doesn't have to happen in the form of you know white and black and and salutes and and turning people into soldiers. It can happen in our education system. I think that's one part of the division we're seeing in our country today. And I I don't want to get waxed too political, but I, I think you see it in our younger generation that they, they get indoctrinated to believe a certain thing and they may not be stealing them from our homes, but they are stealing them from our... Our worldviews. Our worldviews, They're views. trying yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. And and unfortunately, I'm seeing it more and more, even kids that I thought were raised right in good families, once they get off on their own, they completely spurn everything they were raised in. And I, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know that I can, you know, but that's what we're seeing. And sometimes it makes us feel so alone that we're losing the next generation and what's going to happen, you know. But yeah, that that's a major theme in this movie. And and it's also the major theme of the victory at the end of this because they keep reminding themselves we're not alone we're not alone we don't have the numbers to face the empire but we're not alone we just got to let other people know this is the last chance we have to fight the emperor so 
you know, that's now or never. And we're going to stand and we hope everybody comes and joins us and stands too. Yeah. So one of the best lines in the movie is when, you know, the the rebellion and just their few ships show up to fight this massive fleet, massive fleet of the final order. And, and then uh, they think that they're, that they're losing and that it's the end. And then suddenly there are all these ships led by the millennium Falcon that just almost innumerable as that one was impressive. Yeah. I mean, really impressive. And that was the end game scene. Yeah, that was the end game scene. And, and it was like, that's not a Navy, sir. It's just people. And it's like, praise the Lord, just people, you know, <laughs> ordinary people that have decided to stand up against tyranny and take a stand, even if it is a sacrificial stand. And that was beautiful. I, I think that was one of the best scenes in the movie. And, uh, but we have that kind of victory in Christ and it's not as, I don't know, it's not as big and beautiful because Christ tells us that the the path that we're on as Christians is the the narrow path. It's not the popular path. And so we're always going to feel a little outnumbered. But I think that this was a good analogy for like the body of Christ, because we all, even though we um, stand as a few, we do stand as a strong body, that we all have a position in the body of Christ. And we also are encouraged as Christians to know that we are never alone because even if we stand by ourselves, we still have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We make each other stronger in Christ. Right. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. It It's important that we work amongst our brothers and sisters to, to build each other up and, and hold each other accountable. Right. And then we can rely on God. He's always going to be there for us. Uh, in Psalm seventy three twenty three through 24, it says, Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. That Psalms is full of it. Of course, the Psalms 23 is one that we all rely on in times of, of dark darkness in our lives. Is even though I Go through the darkest valley. I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just, you know, beautiful pictures of how God is with us. And, and we're never really alone. We're never really alone, ever. Even if we get thrown in prison and we're in solitary confinement, we're not alone. Yeah. Which I bet is a lot of what uh, some of these folks in China are feeling now. Yeah. Yeah, the major pastor was... was uh, Sentenced to, I think it was seven years in prison in China yep. Uh, yep. For, for preaching in a, a non-regulated church. And they either last week or last week they did, or next week they're supposed to enact a law that outlaws, outlaws home churches that do not swear fealty to the Communist Party. The Communist Party first. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting transition into kind of the the dark side of our conversation. Mm. One of the things that we really see is Palpatine's ability to manipulate. He's like this nasty voice in the side of your head that that just keeps pulling you over to the dark side, you know. <laughs> Everything he says is a lie, and he yeah. he doesn't he doesn't speak truth or he twists truth into lies. It's just the the most disgusting thing and thinking about that there's some easy referrals to scripture on this as well because there is a father of lies and Mm -hmm. palpatine kind of is the symbol of that in the star wars universe but in reality there is the devil there is satan who speaks lies one one verse i pulled up was could almost be describing Palpatine, actually. Um, John eight forty four says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then we are encouraged as Christians in First Peter 4, 8, to be sober-minded and watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Mm. 
I think um, there's not a really a lot that we can or that we should spend time talking about it, but I, I think it is important to remind ourselves that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers and whatever that verse is. There are two scenes where Palpatine, in the first one, he's talking to Kylo Ren, and the second one, he's talking to uh, to Rey. And in both those scenes, his lines are such that it, they both reminded me very much of Satan tempting Jesus in the in the desert, mm-hmm. where it, everything he was saying was of substance and based in truth, but intended to get specifically the outcome that he wanted. Right. And I, I, I thought they did a disservice by making Palpatine the cloaked, disfigured old man that he was at the end of, uh, of Jedi, instead of focusing more on the Palpatine that he was actually in um, episodes one, two, and three, the political mastermind who wasn't evil until you started actually listening to him. Yeah. Cause I think that's the, that's the more dangerous person it, yeah, is the, the person you trust. Right. The one that is, is kind of like the antichrist and that he's followable. Somebody that you would, would see as a leader and, and could be, uh, deceived into following instead of somebody ugly. I think that Christians tend to forget, at least some Christians do, they paint Satan as being, you know, this devilish creature. And yeah. really, he's an angel of light. He's he's deceptively beautiful. And he makes his deceptions beautiful. And that's why so many are led astray by them, because they aren't ugly. They look like something you would want. And that's why we have to be leery and and self-aware and sound in the spirit so that we're you know we're aware of what's going on and and sober-minded and watchful and all that stuff so that we're not led astray the antichrist is not going to be a saddam hussein (laughs) or you know a a kim (laughs) jong-il he's going to be he's going to be a brad pitt or uh you know somebody that you that that you want to like because that's how he's going to manipulate everything. I think that's why so many people thought Obama was kind of like a an antichrist because yeah, it's very he possible. was art he was articulate. Not that he, he was, was the antichrist. But, no, I'm not saying but he was. That's the reason. I, yeah, a lot of people thought he could be, and because of his, you know, that he was uh, so articulate and so intelligent and good looking yeah. and suave and and you know it's that's that's the kind of leader you have to be worried about <laughs> and he didn't necessarily have the same traditional conservative christian views that we wanted him to have right yeah well we've gone really long and there are so many other things that we could talk about in this movie uh one of the things that we haven't quite discussed yet is the sacrifice and C-3PO makes a sacrifice in this movie, but it isn't just him. You know, as I mentioned, you know, all of these average ordinary people that fly their ships through the maelstrom to get to the planet and stand up to the emperor, they were making sacrifices too. None of them Mm -hmm. knew whether they would make it alive out of that. So this movie does have a lot of sacrifice in it. And I think that it's a... Uh, a good picture of who we are as Christians that when we stand against evil, we do so without knowing what God's plan for our earthly lives is. And God doesn't promise us safety. And in this world as Christians, he promises us a uh, purpose and purpose sometimes requires sacrifice. And yeah, that is what it is. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's the purpose that we're made to, we're made to desire. We're made to pursue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking uh, at men's breakfast this week. We were talking about the the fact that man is made to work. That yes. uh, that without that work, we are we're incomplete, and that without works, we can't actually serve God. Yeah, 
We've got four more topics if you want to discuss them. We're only, you know, a little over, actually well over an hour now. Yeah, just well over an hour. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to close wrap this up. But if there is anything else that you would like to talk about in regards to this movie and in Star Wars in general, uh, please come join us in our community. Uh, you can get there by typing in areyoujustwatching.com slash community or just look for us on Facebook. Are you just watching on Facebook? There's a group and a page. Make sure that you do like our our page so that you get uh, when we post things in on our Facebook page. If I'm assuming that you are in Facebook, most people are. Or you can uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm I'm at, on Twitter at e Franklin. I'm on Twitter at Renchepple. R e n c h e p l e. You can also comment on the show notes for this episode, which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 100. Woo, yay! <laughs> Woo, yeah. Um, the fireworks. Yeah. Or you can call us at 513-818-2959 and leave us a message. Uh, you can also email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Uh, audio files are uh, welcome if you want to give us audio feedback that we could play in a future podcast. We'd love to to have that we will also want you to support our podcast uh, we currently have three very diligent patrons craig hardy stephen brown the second and peter chapman who have been giving to us monthly we would love for you to join join them and as we said uh, in the last couple episodes if patreon is not the way that you feel comfortable giving just contact us at one of the contacts we just gave and let us know and we'll get with you to see if there is another way that you can support us financially because we do have costs uh, in, in relation to this po- podcast and we don't make money at it. It's something we do as a service to our listeners, but we would really could really use the financial support to keep it up. I do want you to subscribe, rate and review us. You can do that on through Apple podcasts. You can also do it through Google podcasts. You can do it through goodness. We have so many Spotify, ways. You can Stitcher. Spotify, yeah, Stitcher. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> we also got ourselves added to iHeartRadio uh, this last month. So Woo-hoo! there's lots of ways that you can subscribe and listen to us. Make sure that you do review us and let and give us feedback. Let us know you're out there. It is so helpful to hear back from our listeners. It's when we're talking to each other and recording. It's it's like in a black in a blank little room, and we hmm. we don't see you guys. We don't hear from you guys, and. We'd really like to know that you're out there and listening and that what we're doing is a benefit to you. We love to integrate your comments into our discussions as well. It's, we got some feedback on, on Skywalker today that, uh, that we, we actually went in and adjusted our notes, bef- our outline before recording. Yes, uh, yes, that was Because wonderful. of the great feedback we got. Yep, yep. So we appreciate that and we keep it coming. We love to hear from you guys. So I believe that's it. We don't know what we're recording on next. So tune in in February and find Kick out. Us your suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure something out here soon. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. <laughs>